Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. The recording has started. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. I'm very grateful to be here and to be uh, sober today and, and asked to share uh, what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like now. I just uh, celebrated last week. I got my 16-year medallion on Friday, and um, it's still somewhat uh, surreal for me to see where I am today uh, compared to where I was on August the 5th, 2001. My earliest uh, sexual memories began when I was six years old. Um, I found myself sexually aroused by the sight or the thought of certain other children's feet. And I do not know how I came by this um, deviant form of sexual attraction, but I learned very quickly that it was um, something that other people didn't have and that they reacted very strangely if I talked about it or, you know, I, I learned very quickly to keep it a secret. And I remember I had a list of names of children in my first grade class that I would um, uh, look at. Um, they were children whose feet I wanted to see, and I had that written at the top of the list. And one day my sister... I had left the list out by mistake, and uh, my sister uh, found it, and uh, she was looking at it when I came uh, and saw it, and, and I took it, and she had a very strange expression on her face, and she told my mother, and my mother asked about it, uh, and I wouldn't say anything at all, and I destroyed the list, and, and after that, I never wanted any evidence that, that I had this uh, attraction. I didn't even know what lust was. I didn't know what arousal was. I didn't know how to masturbate. Um, but I just knew something inside of me was like, I'm not going to let you know about this. It's not okay. I felt, and, and over time, I gradually came into this idea that I would not be able to survive if other people knew about my sick attractions. I heard teachers and parents and people on television and coaches and, and, and preachers, uh, people who were very well-respected in the community talk about what sick weirdos like me deserved. Um, that's not what they said exactly, but that's how it, it, it got put together in my mind. And so I, I, I was afraid and alone. And, and I learned later when I came into the program that in that state I couldn't receive love. There was a lot of uh, people in my life that were trying very hard to love me, but I was putting a false front out, and the act can't receive love. And I'm, I'm somehow in my myself, I was certain that if they really knew the truth about me, they would never say those things. They would never, you know, uh, do those loving things for me. And 
and and so the love didn't reach me where I lived. You know, I had a, I had a shield. My secrets kept it out, and I really uh, was um, kind of undernourished at the banquet table, so to speak. Um, just unable to, to to take in what what God and other people were trying to give me. So in this uh, whole whole context, it was a long time that I suppressed my sexual urges and and tried to be asexual. I learned that word in fifth grade and, and looked it up in the dictionary, and I'm like, this is what I want to be. And when I became 15 and went, you know, I was a late bloomer, but but when I went through puberty, um, uh, it became impossible for me to ignore my sexual urges and. I would act out secretly. I would stay. I was at an all-boys school, and I became uh, predominantly attracted to other boys' feet, and certain other boys. I found all feet uh, uh, would attract my attention, but most of them were repulsive, and some of them were uh, really uh, hit my arousal template for some reason, and I would stare and be worried that everyone could know what I was thinking. If I were aroused, I would be worried that everyone could tell. Um, I would go home. I would try to lock myself in the bathroom and try to make something happen. I didn't know how to masturbate until I was 17, and I had a, a very strange uh, experience in the middle of the night with another boy, one of the boys that I had uh, been somewhat attracted to his feet, um, but it was a very horrible experience. I did uh, learn to masturbate after that experience, but I had shame, and um, it, it just I've read the description of uh, how rape victims have felt, and and I felt something that very similar to that when I when I would try to act out with another person. It felt like a betrayal of who I, it was just awful. And, and yet I, I was powerless to stop. Once I learned how to masturbate, it was every day. And on average, sometimes I would go a few days and then I would make up by multiple times. Sometimes I, I uh, injured myself while masturbating, uh, would, you know, have some blood on my hands and, and was sore, and uh, that wouldn't stop me from masturbating again the next day, even though it hurt. And, and um, um, I was powerless. And, and I was... Uh, every day, I, I, I swore that afterwards I, I would I would have this uh, shame, the cycle of the disease. Um, as my my sponsor Bill in Nashville uh, puts it, was I would feel restless, irritable, discontent, dissatisfied with life, and then the obsession would begin, and then that would lead to the first drink, uh, 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 the first uh, intoxication uh, of taking in lust and then the craving would develop, and then the spree, and then the remorse, shame, and guilt, and the, the promises to never do it again, and then trying to be sober. And this is the problem. As a sexaholic, sobriety is my problem. I, I don't know how to be sober and happy. I can't be sober without something to take away the pain of living and my uh, you know, basic, <laughs> my fundamental state as a sexaholic. And um, and I needed a way of living that would allow me to, to have a change, a psychic change that, that would give me the ability, the power to stay sober and to, to, to face life without that drug. 
And, and it took many years for, for me to uh, admit that I needed this help. I was, for 30 years, from age 6 to age 36, I was convinced that, that the best course of action was to keep this all secret and try to manage it on my own. Um, I got married in my late 20s. I thought that would fix my problem, as I've learned many sexaholics also thought. It did not. Um, it, I became much sicker in my disease when I learned that I could, uh, with a little practice, uh, pretend that I was sexually uh, present for, for my uh, then wife um, while mentally I was doing in my head the same sick fantasies that I had when I would masturbate. And so um, uh, she, she became a uh, tool of my um, disease. It became a prop for my uh, masturbation. And then it was a very dishonest and, and abusive thing to do. Um, uh, and, and at times she knew something was wrong, but I would lie. And, and uh, um, over, over the, the course of that relationship, I got sicker and sicker. And as all ad addictions do, I progressed in my behaviors where I, I took greater and greater risks. And ultimately, uh, I, I won't uh, go into the gory details as there's time limited, and this is about the recovery, not the disease. But I progressed to points which I do not, uh, I still can't quite believe that, that, that I did the things that I did. Um, but uh, in February of 2001, I was at the point of suicide, and um, I, I, I was no longer, it was no longer working. The, the, the addiction, the, the, the lust, the acting out that I was doing no longer uh, took away the pain of living enough. And so I wanted to die. I mean, I felt that feeling before, but it had really come to a, a, a crisis point. And, and I became willing at that point to ask for help and began uh, sharing the secrets that I had sworn I'd never tell anyone for, for 30 years. Um, uh, in spite of the fact that by that point I had uh, committed crimes that if somebody if disclosed would have to be reported and there would be legal consequences. And, and in fact, this is what occurred. Um, I, I was uh, in, uh, at the end of the year after getting completely honest in, in therapy. Uh, it took me about six months to work up the courage to tell everything. And by the time I did that in August uh, uh, of 2001, I um, was uh, indicted for statutory rape against a 15-year-old male. And uh, I uh, was uh, sentenced uh, the following year, uh, the day after I uh, celebrated a year of sobriety. And um, I, I spent uh, three months in treatment and lived in a halfway house. I had a medical license that I had just uh, gotten uh, earlier that year, and I had completed a family medicine residency in July. And I had a lot of student debt, and my license was revoked. And I was—I've never practiced medicine since. Um, my uh, marriage eventually failed. I was sued by my victim and his family. Um, uh, I lived in a halfway house. I went through bankruptcy. Um, I was uh, in a halfway house for uh, four, three years and nine months. I, I pled guilty and received a suspended sentence and was placed on probation for two years, which is extremely generous. 
Um, during that time, I stayed in the halfway house because I was very afraid of my probation officer, and and um, and that um, made her more more comfortable that I was not a threat if I was in such a supervised environment. And, in, and while I was there, I was in Nashville. I went to meetings uh, every day, sometimes twice a day. I went to 500 meetings in my first year. I, I, I had uh, therapy and, and uh, psychiatric care, and my full-time job was recovery. And I was scared to death at what could happen to me still. Um, if, if, I, if I went back into the disease of uh, what society would do to me if I relapsed. And these things, you know, for a while, you know, that fear uh, helped me stay sober and helped me be willing. And gradually over time, as I followed the directions uh, in our literature, um, I, I experienced a change that made me, uh, you know, in the beginning I came to meetings because I had to. And uh, eventually... I now come to meetings because I get to. I have a friend that calls me sponsor. He's been in prison on his on his one year anniversary uh, of sobriety. He got he got a call from his attorney saying that he had a choice between taking a 15 year sentence as his plea deal and a 30 year sentence if he went to trial. And he took the, the plea deal eventually after much agonizing. He had a very different choice than I. And he is still sober. He just celebrated 10 years. He, he, he um, has five years to go. He's in Mississippi, not likely to get out early. Uh, his experience changed me and let me see that I was very uh, afraid at the time of all the restrictions that I have had when I was on the sex offender registry for, for, 10, for over 10 years. And, um, and his experience uh, showed me that, that I, I, I don't have to be on the sex offender registry. I get to be on the sex offender registry. It, tur- it turned my perspective around. Nothing changed about my life except how I look at it. And then my whole life changed. And that's to me what the program does for me. It teaches me how to see that, that it's, it's really already okay. I just don't know how to be okay with it, and so I'm the one that needs to change. There are things about life that that that, that aren't ideal, um, but the the thing that I I can do uh, that I have the choice to do is to to make the focus of my life lining up how I live with how I believe I'm supposed to live. And I could never do that in my disease. I was always betraying who I believe, you know, God as I understand Him wanted me to be. And uh, uh, it took a great deal, I, I hope, uh, and I'm grateful when I see others um, become willing without going to the depths that I've gone to. And I've seen others go, go further and still not have the willingness to stop. I don't understand how that works. But I am very grateful that I am sober. I uh, um, uh, Today I have... Uh, eventually gotten off the sex offender registry. I don't have the career that I would have had if I had, you know, kept my medical license and not had any addictive issues. <laughs> but I think if, if uh, you know, I hadn't gotten sober when I did, I'd be, I'd be dead now. And, and I wouldn't have all this. I have uh, a wonderful life. Um, and in fact, I found a career that I never would have found and that I enjoy very much. I'm teaching at a local university. And um, 
my one thing I want to say before I close is just the importance of the <clears throat> AA literature, how important it has been for me um, in learning how to work the steps for my sexaholism. Um, there are specific instructions in that literature on how to work the steps. And the white book clearly states that it is not the instruction manual for the steps, that, that, the, that the steps are outlined in the basic literature of AA. And I'm grateful for the guidance I received from certain AA members on how, 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 to, how to follow those instructions. Um, and some of them were also AA members and some of them weren't. But um, all of them <laughs> were willing to share um, what they had been taught about the literature. And so I, I place a lot of um, uh, you know, confidence in our, in, in our program. I don't have confidence in myself. August the 5th, 2001 was the state I was in when I was relying on myself. And, and today I'm in a very different place, and I owe it to God and to the Fellowship of SA. Thank you very much for letting me share. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.